Welcome to Stop Telling and Start Listening with David Cook. If you're frustrated with the way we are speaking or not speaking to each other, if you find yourself easily at odds in your conversations with people, this may be just the show for you. Listen in as David and his guests will help you elevate your communication skills and navigate the tensions present in many conversations today. Now, here is David Cook. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. This is David Cook. Welcome to another episode of Stop Telling and Start Listening. Um, today, we're, um, we'll call this sibling rivalry day. My daughter was really jealous um, two weeks ago that uh, her brother got to be on the show. And so she was saying, when's my turn? No, that's really not the truth. Um, but anyway, I thought I'd just say that anyway, because it's expected, right? We want to, our kids would probably say, oh, dad loves me best and all that other stuff. So, but that's not the case. But what we are going to do is we are going to talk about parenting and uh, listening and parenting. This We call this listening and parenting part two. And the reason that I did invite my daughter, Samantha, on the show today to uh, participate is, um, number one, is we, uh, if you will listen to the episode with my son, Brandon, um, we did spend the last 10 or 15 minutes of the show complimenting Samantha on the things that she's doing with her um, sons, my grandsons. And um, so it's not like she gets the, um, has to defend herself or, or protect herself or anything like that. But at the same time, I thought it would be best to get a um, parenting perspective from her because I know how she raises her boys. I know um, a lot of the reasons behind it, but I would love to have Sammy share her story. And the other reason that I have Sammy on the show is, is that um, she and I have done um, a lot of coaching together uh, years ago when we were when we were living in another city in, in Michigan. We coached uh, softball teams a couple summers together and we interacted with a lot of parents and a lot of kids. And Sammy today is um, a gymnastics coach at a very successful gymnastics um, uh, club here in, in Phoenix. And I just thought it would be great to have Sammy talk about parenting and listening and parenting because, A, she's a um, child. She's mine. She's a parent of two boys. And she interfaces with parents all the time. So she has a lot of perspective. So that's really what we're going to do today is we're going to um, – Give it an opportunity to uh, take a, a, a learn from Samantha and her perspectives. And so that's what I'm going to do today is introduce Samantha. I often forget to call her by her married name. So I'm going to pause really quick. And so my guest officially is Samantha Moore. And uh, Sammy, uh, thanks for joining me today. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You know, you snuck on um, probably like what the third episode or so with uh, Coach Hutch from the University of Michigan, and I knew you wouldn't let me have an interview with her without you present. So you're you're familiar with the format. Thanks for so in some respects. Thanks for coming back. Yeah, no, I that was probably one of the coolest things that I've gotten to do in a long time, and it was just cool, like listening to her and just being in the background and then actually getting to ask her a few questions. Cause as you guys were talking, I was like, wait, I have a question. Wait, I have a question about that. Wait, what about this? So that was really cool. Kind of getting to pick coach Hutch's brain a little very, bit. Very cool. So, um, you know, it was a long time ago and you may be, I'm going to put you on the spot, but we'll do a little tease for that episode if, uh, for the people who haven't listened. Um, what was the thing that you walked away with um, from that conversation about listening with Coach Hutch? What was the thing that jumped out for you? Um, I think the thing that jumped out for me the most, um, mostly as a gymnastics coach, was just building a culture 
And listening to her talk about how she built a culture and just kind of how she gets people to gets athletes to buy into the culture. And just um, from there is kind of how it feeds the entire program and how it feeds the entire team. It's not like she creates this culture. And if you, you know, you have to be this and this is what it is. It was more about like growing and kind of adapting the culture within the program that she has. And as she gets new members and as she gets new teams and kind of continuing to grow the culture and grow the program as she continues to um, progress through the years. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. She definitely, cause she definitely, um, you know, and I love the way you, the way you described that is, she didn't say this is the way it is. What she did was she laid laid a foundation and then grew people into it. Is that yes. pretty much? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> kind of leads to my question about parenting. Um, there was a time before you had kids, probably after you and uh, Mike got married, maybe before you and Mike got married, who knows? But um, what was your plan for parenting? Uh, so different than what I actually do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> There was a lot of different things. It was, um, you know, you kind of watch and learn from other people and you kind of observe different uh, perspectives, just kind of being in society. And you're like, wow, I'm never going to do that with my kid. And, oh, I'm not going to do that. Oh, I really love how they did that. I'm definitely going to try that when I have kids. And then you do these things and then you realize that these little humans are so similar to you that some of the things that wouldn't work with you are not going to work with them either. And so you have to kind of adapt your parenting and adapt your plan. And you can get ideas from other people, but I think that everything you do has to still be your own thing, basically, mm -hmm. when you parent. Got it. That makes sense. Yeah. So there's there's theory and practice. You started out with a theory and then you find out that, hmm, <laughs> maybe, maybe not so much. Right. We were, our original plan was, um, you know, we go to church every Sunday and we're like, okay, we're not going to bring in Santa Claus for Christmas. We're going to make sure that our kids understand that it's Jesus's birthday and that's what it's all about. And then our kids were about, you know, two or three and it was like, Hey, who's that big that guy with the red, you know, red clothes and the beard and everything. And we're like, okay, here we go. Well, it's Santa, <laughs> you know? And then, he, I mean, even something as small as that, we were like, okay, well, we're just going to have Santa and it's just going to be Santa and Jesus's birthday. And that's okay. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. I love it. Um, so a uh, couple things, couple things that jumped out with me that you just said is because I did the same thing as a parent, you know, when I, uh, the way I was raised and obviously, you know, who, who raised me, but with the way I was raised and stuff like that, there were some things I said, yeah, absolutely. This is, these are things that I'm not going to do as a parent. And then I found out that in many respects, I still did some of them, even though I wasn't aware of them, I just did them in on my terms, but it was still essentially the same behavior I thought I was doing you know, dark blue dad. And I was ended up being light blue dad, but it still was a shade, shade of blue. Um, were there a couple of like just hard stop things that you said, you know, and you can, and, and it's okay. You can say this out loud because I'm your dad and it's a safe space, but are there some things that you said based on the way you were raised and grew up said, I'm not doing that. Um, yeah, I definitely think there was a few things. Um, I'm trying to think of like some specific examples. I just, I know that one of the things was like, you know, just an automatic like time out to your room. 
I just remember growing up and being like, you know, whatever we did, you spilled a drink, go to your room. And it was like, why? You know, like those things I was like, okay, I need to really evaluate the situation with my kids because I don't want them to see everything that they do is wrong. If they spilled milk on the floor, can I clean it up in 30 seconds? Yeah. Do they need to go to their room while I cleaned it up? No. We can just talk about, you know, oh, well, you know, that's okay. It happens. Why don't you help me clean it up? You know, help you be responsible for your mess. Um, I think that was kind of one thing. Um, I felt like uh, there was a lot of blame. It was like, it's your fault that you did this and it's your fault for, you know, whatever happened. And that's why you're being punished. Um, I've tried really hard to like get my kids to understand that it's not necessarily their fault, but how could we have fix the situation or how could I even have helped the situation so that they didn't make the decisions that they made. And so we kind of have more of an open communication than I think that I had when I was younger. Um, and then, you know, and then I lose my stuff and they get sent to the room anyways. So it happens. <laughs> well, I don't think that, I don't think parenting is ever perfect, but um, sounds like your parents were a little bit hard on you, you know, that maybe, maybe someday we'll have to sit down with your dad and talk to him and see. See if you can recognize it, but um, yeah, you know that it is funny that you know we we've talked about this. We talk about this a lot. A couple of things that you just talked about, with, you know, relative to the you know, way you communicate with your with your boys, as opposed to maybe things that you experienced when you were growing up. And one is is that um, uh, making people wrong. We talk about this in listening all the time. Making people wrong doesn't create the safe uh, place for them to feel safe. Cause then they're worried about being good or bad or right or wrong and all that stuff. So when you, when you, when you make a child fear doing something wrong, fear doing something bad, what happens is you're taking away their safety. And so what your, you, what your commitment is, is that, you know, I'm not, I'm not indicting my mom and dad, but your commitment was, is that I know what it's, what it feels like when I'm in that position of being right or wrong, you know, fearing it as opposed to creating, you know, my commitment to being, creating a safe space for them to, to, to be who they are and not fear those things, but to experience what happens when stuff happens, because stuff happens, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, we definitely have that with our kids. We try to get them to understand that, you know, even if something like they say a potty word or something like that, like, yes, is that okay? No. But do we want them to feel like ashamed because they said that also no so it's more like hey do we say those words in public no oh okay then you know what what were you thinking when you said that oh I was just trying to be funny okay well are there other words that we could use to still be funny that are more appropriate words yes what are they and then we start talking through those things and it's like you know trying to teach them rather than just kind of shame them or push them off to the side Kids are, they're sponges. I mean, everybody talks about how quickly they learn and how easily they learn growing up. So you want them to learn how to think for themselves also. You know, I don't want to create a little robot that's just like me. I'm an awesome person. However, my kids could be even more awesome if I let them be and if I let them create their own way of thinking and their own ideas and reactions and actions to everything. And then on the other side of that, listen to the questions that you're asking them. It sounds like uh, you want to be in a place back to the you know, back to listening and back to the way you communicate with them. You're giving them space to give you honest answers to then. 
Yes. So there's there's not right and wrong answers. There's just their truth. What it is, what it is that you're asking them. Tell me what I need to know. And we'll go from there after you tell me, but I'm not going to make you right or wrong for it. I'm just going to, I appreciate the information. Is that pretty much the philosophy? Yeah, pretty much. And we try to do a lot of open-ended questions with the boys, not like, Hey, was this wrong? And they're like, yes, it's more (laughs) like, Hey, what are, you know, what were you thinking while you said this? And then sometimes they're like, I don't know. And we're like, okay, well, let's explore that. You know, I'm just trying to give them like open-ended communication so that they have chances to give me their viewpoint. And sometimes, you know, my five-year-old's crazy. Sometimes his viewpoint is like super out there. Well, I was thinking about the Hulk and then Captain America and how there's a spider web on the building. And, you know, and you're like, what? Okay. (laughs) You know, and you're, well, let's explore that. (laughs) So just giving him the space to be creative, I think too, with their answers and not putting them kind of in a box. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good. That's good. So, um, what were some of the things that you had um, back to back to your rules? You you talked about the fact that you were you know you used Christmas as an example. You know the two figures of Christmas. There's the Jesus and which is the traditional, and there's Santa, which is the commercial, if you will. But it's part of it's part of youth, right? Um, what other what other commitments did you make to yourself uh, as I would related to being a parent? That is a really good question. <laughs> I mean, I have a whole, I have a whole bunch I could feed you, but I don't I want because because <laughs> that would be that I'm would be, trying, be me prioritizing yours. Yeah, trying to think of back before we had the kids and kind of like what things we were thinking about and stuff um, that we said we you know we would never do this, we would never do this. Um, I know, like we said, we would never argue in front of them. We would never argue with them. We always said, you know, like if they have different viewpoints, we'll try to really like kind of meet them in the middle and figure out, you know, where they're coming from. Um, And we definitely argue with them sometimes, like for Mm -hmm. sure, that is definitely different. But I think we argue in a healthy way with our kids. It's not like, well, you know, the sky is green. Well, why are you saying the sky is green? The sky is not green. The sky is blue. Like what is wrong with you? You know, like we don't do something like that. It's more like, okay, the sky is green. Well, why do you think the sky is green? What do you think create makes it green? Do you think that it's a shade of green or do you think it could be a shade of a different color? You know, like kind of trying to get them to like figure out how to meet us while still like not telling them they're wrong, even though Mm -hmm. they are, even if they are wrong. Right. That makes sense. Well, you know, um, on the very first episode, we talked a little bit about um, the joys of riding in the van with, uh, with your older son, you know, number one, number one knucklehead. Um, But and he would go into those crazy stories in the van. It was just like a stream of consciousness and, the, and it would almost become nonsensical. I mean, this one, you know, how old is he today? So he was probably like five or three or two, just starting to really communicate and share his vision of the world. And I remember catching myself because I wanted to correct him. It's like, no, that's that that's not the way it is. This is the way it is. And But I thought if I injected myself in a story, then he's not going to feel safe being imaginative and telling this goofy story that made no sense, but it energized him telling the story. That was really what it was about. And I think that's what you're talking about, right? Is, is that, okay, if you, if you guys want to have a, a, a conversation, let's have one, but there are not really a whole lot of boundaries around that conversation. They take it where they take it. Right. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, they definitely like to explore and ask a lot of questions and we do with the scientific facts and stuff like that. We do figure out how to like, 
you know, research it with them. And, you know, I mean, we don't have a library and you don't go and research like you used to. You just pop something up on the Internet really quick and do a little search or the they have uh, we have a little like home box now. And the boys will just ask, hey, Google, da, 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 da. And then they ask him a question or whatever. And then she gives an answer. Um, so they're, you know, they're starting to explore that kind of stuff. But when they were younger and they were just kind of asking things and we tried to figure it out in a way that it was like, hey, what do you think? Well, why do you think this? And how can we meet your reality with our with what the reality is? You know, the sky is blue. OK, how do we meet that with the sky's green, you know, and trying to figure out how to engage them in a conversation that gets them to try to, like, lead themselves to it and not necessarily be like, this is what it is and you need to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. That's good. So. um couple of things that you said about um kids and stuff like that so this is this is based on both experience and and um for you it's based on experience and and, a, and an opinion formed on that but you talked about um I, well, I used the word being safe but you talked about them being impressionable and um the right and wrong stuff like that is like um why was that so important to you to make sure that you know that they have this opportunity this space to be who they are why is that so important to you i just think that they need to figure out life i think that when it comes to parenting like yes you're trying to raise these little humans to like be good humans as they grow up but one thing that mike and i really wanted to make sure is that we were raising independent humans We don't want these kids that are so dependent on us for everything that they have to call us every 10 seconds and say, you know, what is this and what is this? And I can I go here and can I do this? We want them to try to be able, you know, to try to figure the world out. And so from a very young age, we allowed them to try to figure the world out Mm -hmm. and try to ask different questions to kind of figure things out. We didn't put them in boxes and say, this is right. This is wrong. This is black. This is white. We put them in this kind of gray area and we said, well, what do you think? And what do you think is appropriate? And how do you think you should act? Or how do you think you should talk? And kind of let them explore that and kind of figure that out for themselves. Because when they're 18 years old and they go off to college and we're not right in the dorm room next to them, I mean, I'm sure we'll be a phone call away because, you know, eventually I'll let my kids have a cell phone. But you know, they'll be able to call, but I don't want them to have to do that. I don't want them to have to come out of a class discussion and go, you know, I didn't raise my hand because I thought this might be wrong. I want them to be able to come out of a class discussion and be like, Hey, guess all the, these are all the points that I made. What do you think? Like, this is the discussion that I had with them, but I want to keep going because I don't think I'm over. I'm done with my discussion, but class ended 45 minutes ago. Can you continue to have a discussion with me? Cause this is what I'm thinking. And this is how I see the world. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. That's really good. And I'm, and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but I think I shared with you, I'll try to find a way to share this with the audience, but, um, Last or two weeks ago, again, you know, I I picked up the older guy from from school, I think it was, and he started weighing in on a social political issue as an eight year old. And it was really cute because he he started had started to form some opinions. And, you know, depending on who the audience was, it would obviously because it was it was a divisive subject topic and he weighed in his two cents. And I was really impressed because he comfortably said what he felt. 
and and I and I and I thought that was really cool because I don't know that a what my opinions or perspectives were on things. I think what I was interested in was sports and food and sleeping. But um, you know, for him to recognize the conversation because I shared with him, you know, something I was talking to people about, and to have him just jump in and say what he believed or what he knew to that point was really awesome. So, you know, I, I, I say, I, I say that because I, it's as a reminder to parents and, and an acknowledgement to you as well, Sam, that um, for him to feel safe sharing something that he, that he believes is really awesome. That's, that's, a, that's a tremendous gift because he's not afraid to share it. He's not rude. He's not boastful. He's not arrogant. But he just says, hey, this is this is something blah, 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 you know, and it comes out just freely and easily. And I love that. But that's because you've created a platform for him to talk about it. Yeah, Correct. I mean, we've definitely tried to just give them the freedom to ask questions and the freedom to have beliefs. And he doesn't always agree with me. Sometimes, you know, Mike and I are very opposite on a few subjects. And sometimes he agrees with his dad. And sometimes I have to be like, okay, just take a deep breath. We can talk about this, you know, and figure out how to talk about it with him in a healthy way so that he feels comfortable and confident and he feels good about his opinions. Because that's the other thing, too, is that, you know, you want them to have opinions, but you also want them to feel good about their opinions. You don't want to, you know, impose your opinions on them and then have them be like, yeah, well, I believe in Jesus because my mom makes me believe in Jesus. You know, like my kids, you know, I believe in Jesus because I really believe that there's a heaven and I believe that there's some, something out there, you know, they'll talk, they'll go into even that kind of stuff. They're like, oh, do you think that so-and-so is watching us? And, you know, that kind of stuff. And I'm like, okay, okay. So, you know, that's where you're coming from this. And it's an innocent little child perspective, but it's also very, I don't know. I don't know the word for it, but it's just very like, wow, like I didn't know you believed that and believed that deeply. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, again, this is, you know, for, for the audience, I want to make sure people were not like, you know, this is not a session for me to say, oh, Sammy, tell get go through and tell me how wonderful a parent you are. Because, you know, we all, our job as parents is to totally screw up our kids. So there are things that Sammy's doing, I'm sure that are messing up those boys. But um, the, I think what, what the, the core component of this first little session, the thing that I really want to emphasize to the people who are listening, and I think it is important when we talk about listening and, I don't really, to me, it doesn't matter what the and is, listening and parenting, listening and coaching, listening in relationships, listening in conflict, it doesn't really matter. But what Samantha is talking about very clearly here is, well, let's create a space for people to be free to share who they are. For people to be free to share who they are without fear of criticism, judgment, or condemnation. Now, there's going to be conflict. There's always conflict, right, Sam? You have conflict with the boys. It happens. But you navigate the conflict from a healthy place. You don't shame them. You don't make them wrong. You don't tell them they're stupid. What you're saying is, is okay, when they say something that kind of gets my attention, like, huh? You navigate that as a learning exercise for yourself. Why do you think that? Why do you see that? Why do you believe that? Tell me more, right? That's what you're really doing with the boys, but you could do that with anybody. Yeah. I mean, even in, even when coaching, it's kind of fun seeing all the girls perspectives and different personalities pop out as the, as we're doing gymnastics, like I'll say something 
and somebody will interpret it the same way that I had it, you know, that I had intended it. And then somebody interprets interprets it completely differently. Like I'll be like, set up a station and then I'll give them like this. I want this here, this here, this here, and this is what you're going to do. And one of the girls is like, got it. And she does it exactly how I envisioned it. And then one of the girls walks over and she's like, um, and then she does it how she thinks she heard it. And it's like completely different. And, you know, looking at, and then I, I kind of sit there and I like kind of laugh for a second. I'm like, well, that's one way of doing it, you know, cause you don't want them to feel like, oh, I did it wrong. And coach Sam was asking me to, you know, demonstrate this. And then I did it completely wrong and not the way that she wanted me to do it. And sometimes we've actually created like random drills because I'm like, wow, I never thought of it that way. And actually I like your perspective. We're going to do the drill that way. You know, that so-and-so just showed us because I like that better than the one that I had set up. Right. And they, and they, you didn't criticize them though. The second person, you didn't criticize them for doing it. it. Technically they did it wrong. You gave them a set of instructions, the five things, one, two, three, four, five. And then they did one, two, three, four, five as they heard it. But when you, way you're saying it is they didn't really do one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> they did no, two, three, four, like one, a two, seven, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then you looked at it. So that's like you said, it's kind of like a chuckle. Say, okay, good. You know, did I, A, did I communicate this effectively? Not sure, because obviously one person got it and one person didn't. Are they, did they do something tremendously wrong? Not really. They just did it, they did it who they are. So I, again, this is a, you know, the emphasis on this is, you know, for, for those who are listening is everything is an opportunity for us to learn with others through the way we listen and the way we communicate. That's really what you're saying. It's saying that because you said, yeah, you did it. You did it wrong. <laughs> no, you did it creatively. Let's talk about, let's, let's see what I got out of this. We, you know, what, what was, what I needed to change in the way I communicated? What do I need to adjust in my instructions? Or did you create an entirely new opportunity for us? All right. of that, all of that is, is exploring without criticism, shame, or judgment. It's exploring the opportunity. Yes. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, so anyway, um, I'm looking here. I see that we're getting ready to go to a break. I can't believe this show goes so fast sometimes. But anyway, um, when you when you find yourself, let's see if you can answer this question before we go to break. But, you know, what's the one thing that you have to catch yourself on when you're dealing with uh, your boys that to make sure you stay on to your commitment? to them to be safe and stuff like that. What's the key for you? Um, the key is not telling them they're wrong. Because mm. even when like my older dude loves sports and he loves to sit and watch sports with me and he loves to try to ask questions to understand the game better. We were watching softball yesterday. We were watching Michigan and he was just like, you know, asking a lot of questions. What does the two one mean? What is the three outs? What is, you know, all just all these different things. But then it was like, he would say something and it was like, I don't even remember, but you know, it was completely not in like anything remotely close to what the play was or anything like that. And I had to catch myself to, instead of being like, dude, that is not even close. That is not even right at all. I had to kind of sit back and be like, okay, why do you think that? what were you, you know, what were you thinking on that play? And then have him give me his perspective. And then me kind of like trying to figure out how to meet him in the middle and be like, well, that's more of like a football play, not really a softball play, but I see where you're coming from, you know, and I've tried really hard not to say, but to my kids a lot. Um, 
I love you, but because then it negates the everything that you say before. Um, we try to do a lot of like, I see where you're coming from. And let me give you a new perspective, you know, and try to so that it tells them that they're right. But it also tells the and it also tells them, here's a different perspective that is also right. Yeah, well, that makes sense. I mean, and you use, you use that example um, in those situations when he's watch, when he's watching sports with you, because, you know, I, I, I see that in him all the time. He he'd really he knows that that's a passion of ours is, you know, watching sports, especially watching, you know, certain teams and certain schools and that kind of stuff. Um, and so he's trying to learn. And when he, when he doesn't understand something, you could tell him, you know, that's wrong. <laughs> right. And then, but then it, it'll slow down his curiosity. If you say, well, you know, that's you, you're heading down the right road. Let's talk a little, but let me add a little light and, and let me share with you a little, more to this so you understand it better you so you're looking at comprehension you know if you're you see them struggle for comprehension lack of comprehension isn't a failure it isn't wrong lack of comprehension again is an opportunity for you to expand the teaching process yeah so okay all right well when we come back um from break we're going to transition a little bit away from my favorite subject which is my two grandsons um, to uh, Sam's experience as a coach and some of the things that we as coaches have observed in parents. This is not an indictment of mom and dads that we've worked with, but also to share some things that we see that I would call in quotes. And this is not to use because this is a non-judgmental, but there's some things that are cringeworthy and would like to share. So anyway, we'll come back and we'll talk about cringeworthy parenting. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. We are living in a time where a relentless commitment to opinions and beliefs are dividing communities and fracturing crucial relationships. Making ourselves right and those who disagree with us wrong leaves little room for engaging in a constructive learning dialogue. There is little opportunity to change minds, find common ground, or solve complex problems. Those who are not being heard or understood become angry, hurt, lost, isolated, alone, and more. While mental health-related issues are on the rise, too few know how to safely share their struggles, and far too many don't know how to care about those that do. While it is increasingly frustrating to experience an increase in this communication divide, there is hope. And according to David Cook, there is an answer. The answer lies in how we adjust our communication style and shift our listening behaviors. In his radio show, Stop Telling and Start Listening, host David Cook introduces his audiences to the power found in creating a safe place for sharing life perspectives and experiences without judgment, criticism, correction, or shame. There are tremendous opportunities in learning to see the world from the eyes of another. Join David on Mondays at 11 Pacific. Discover how shifting your listening behaviors will close the divide that exists between you and others in your community. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Stop Telling and Start Listening. Have a question for David or his guests? 
Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Or you can email Dave at dave at thecookgroupllc.com. Now, back to the show with David. And we're back. This is David Cook with Stop Telling and Start Listening. And I have my daughter, Samantha Moore, on the uh, call with us today. And we're talking about parenting and listening. And um, if you if you missed the first half, sorry, but uh, you can always catch up to it. Um, Samantha and I were talking a lot about um, her, her commitment, her strategy, and her beliefs uh, as a parent raising her children, which are her two boys, which are my two grandsons, the two best guys in the whole world. And one of the things that just want to reemphasize more than anything else to support the whole notion of why we why we're having this show is to create create a sense of understanding of how important it is to learn from the beliefs, behaviors, attitudes, perspectives of others. And in order to do that, we really need to make a commitment to make create a safe space to actually listen to what they say, how they say it, what's important. And not only just, you know, that and respond to that, but create a, an environment um, in that process where we can go deep and really get um, a, a, an extra good sense of what that's all about. So we hear something, we don't react to it. What we do is we respond to it with more learning, more listening, so that we get a full sense of how, whether it's a five-year-old um, kid or a 65-year-old um, adult, how they see the world and how it forms their opinions. It's so important. Um, and the reason the parenting thing is so important is we we frame that going forward. One of the things that Samantha talked about, um, you know, that the instant the instant right or wrong or bad or good that she experienced growing up, you know, uh, as as her dad, I know that I had a short uh, short fuse in the sense that I didn't put up with a whole lot of mistakes or errors or stupidity, and so there wasn't a lot of room for for the kids to. Um, be safe with, you know, um, making mistakes or saying something that I might perceive to be stupid or nonsensical. Um, and Sammy basically said, okay, you know, learn that lesson because, um, as I got older, I, I started to realize how important it was to be in a safe environment and how to be able to let people, you know, be who they are without fearing being right or wrong or judged or criticized. And I think that that's extremely important as parents that we need to do that. Um, before we before we went to break, I, I teased the the word cringeworthy parenting. And the only reason I say that is, is that Sammy and I, I don't know, you were like 19. So that was like 20 years ago. Uh, um, we coached a couple. We spent a couple summers coaching fast pitch softball, which was um, uh, the you know one of your first loves besides gymnastics. And um, it was a great experience for both of us because um, I was used to coaching boys and you could tell boys that they were dumbasses and they would take it. That doesn't mean it was good or bad. But um, when you coach women and young girls in softball, um, if you don't if they don't know that you love them or care, they couldn't perform to save their life. Um, <laughs> if they felt criticized, criticized, if they felt judged, if they felt failure. Um, they would shut down completely and it would take forever to get back to that. So the gift that I got from coaching with my daughter was um, learning how to communicate in a way that was a little bit gentler than the way I coach boys. I think, I don't know that I got there, but 
Um, but when I talk about cringeworthy things with parents, parents are a challenge when it comes to coaching, right, Sam? Yeah, they're if we could just coach the kids and never have to deal with the parents, sometimes it would be a little bit easier. Some parents are great, but yes. Yeah. So, so well, it's kind of funny. It reminds me of a story, and I, I always I love sharing the story. And I apologize, I'm hijacking your interview to tell this story, but. Um, uh, we have a mutual friend, and uh, I'll just say her name out loud, but uh, Leslie, you know, Leslie's daughter came to try out with us one summer, and Leslie was convinced, um, and when I met up with her years later, was convinced that I was an engineer who worked for Ford because I would, all I was focused on was the kids on the field, and I wouldn't give the parents the time of day. And she says, you're just, you had no personality except that you were focused on the kids. You didn't talk to us. You didn't engage us. It was almost like you ignored us. I thought you were an engineer from Ford because you were so laser beam focused. And I had to laugh because I said, well, then you got the message. The kids were, I was there for the kids. I wasn't there for the parents. I could care less about the parents because I wanted the kids to be successful, to have, be happy, to enjoy the game, right? That was, that was why we were doing it. That's why you coach gymnastics. You don't coach the gymnastics so the parents can have successful kids. No, I coach them so that they can be successful in a sport that they love. Yeah. And that's an interesting shift. So you're not there for the parents. Obviously, you you need to serve the parents. You need to be mindful of the parents, but you're there to serve the serve the needs of, of their children in, in a way that supports their goals and objectives. Exactly. Yeah. It's all about the kids. It's hard. So how do you deal with... <laughs> Okay, so how do you deal with the parent that, uh, you know, back into this whole thing where we talk about right, wrong, good or bad? How do you deal with the moms and dads who confront you with the stuff that they're upset with you about? Um, it's I haven't had a lot of experience with this. Thank goodness. Um, most of my parents have been pretty mellow. Um, but I can tell you that you kind of have to almost dig deep into why the parent is saying what they want to say. So if it's a situation where, you know, the kid isn't in the level that the parent wants them to be in, that's a different conversation than if the kid isn't successful on an event like the parent thinks they should be. So there's different for like, for me, um, gymnastics, you know, we, everybody has one good event. Everybody has one bad event. Everybody has a kind of, you know, a couple of okay events. It's just how gymnastics is. Um, and you know, you have a parent that comes in, they're like, you know, you're a terrible beam coach. Oh, I am. Okay, great. Thanks. You know, thank you so much for your opinion. Um, and then it's kind of just like, okay, well, why do you think that? Well, my daughter can't get in the nines. Okay. Well, um, have you ever watched her practice? No. Oh, okay. Well, um, you know, when we're at practice, here are the things that your daughter does. She runs around the beams. She doesn't stay on the beam. She talks to her friends instead of working on the drills that I give her, you know, and kind of like kind of going through these like checklists almost. And then the parent is like, oh, I didn't know that. OK, so am I still a terrible beam coach? You know, like you don't say that, but it's like, now do you see my perspective? Mm -hmm. And the parent mm -hmm. is like, wow, you know, I'm so sorry. Like, let me talk to Susie about being a lot more focused on, you know, at practice on the beam. Okay, well, thanks. That's a great, but, you know, I'm really glad we had this conversation. Thank you so much for bringing it to my attention. I appreciate this. You know, I appreciate you. Mm -hmm. um, I always try to, you know, give the parent space to be mad 
So I want them to, I want them to lash out at me and give me what they, what they want and what they want to give me, because you can always find nuggets in what they're saying that you can start kind of like questioning. Oh, okay. You know, oh, she can't get in the nights. Well, you know, and then you kind of address that situation or kind of, I don't know. That's how I deal with parents is I let them lash out. And then I try to ask follow-up questions that are very open-ended so that I can figure out how we can come to an understanding that is a healthy understanding that we can move forward from. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah. So, um, the dad approach of uh, trying to give the have the parents talk to the hand. You don't do that anymore. You at least engage them. Yeah, no, I definitely you. I've noticed that the more that you give parents platform, the more that they feel comfortable and confident in what you're doing with their child. Mm -hmm. If you sit there and you're like, well, you don't know anything and I'm not going to talk to you about it, then they feel shut out and they feel like you're hiding something. Whereas if you give them the platform and say, okay, tell me all the reasons that you're upset with me. And then let's talk about those things. And let's talk about how we can work together to move forward. And we can work with your child to move forward. And then they feel, they feel heard. They feel like you get it. And then they usually don't bring the same problem a second time unless they're not seeing results. And then they come to you in a more like, not you're a bad beam coach. It's more like a, Hey, you know, I just don't see that she's getting any better. Would privates help? Would a different coach help? Would her doing, you know, a different day help? Would her being with a different group? You like, they almost come with solutions the second time instead of just attacking. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, it is a it is a challenge because as as even as I'm sitting here listening, I'm wondering, um, you know, one of the things that we've we talk about with uh with listening and learning and in, in problem solving, which was last week's episode, the whole idea is uh, if somebody comes to me with a with a complaint and a solution, obviously I appreciate that, but sometimes with uh with a challenge or a solution, there's a lot of in between. And you talked about that exploring a little bit. In the, in the conversation, the, the parent says, here's what I'm observing. These are the things I'm concerned about. And then you spend some time saying, like, tell me more why that's important, what you're seeing, what you're experiencing that makes you believe that. And then they jump and say, maybe we could do this. And you appreciate that. But I think it's that that middle piece, you know, for from and this is an unsolicited opinion, but that middle piece is so important because you and they both have to have context to what the problem is. And you guys have to come to an understanding of what the problem is, because, you know, you identified earlier in your conversations with the parents is like, have you watched a practice? No. OK, here's some things that I look at in practice. Here's some things that I experience when I'm observing practice. Here's some things that get my attention. When I'm like, oh, maybe if you watched the practice and you saw these things, we could talk about how do we deal with them? You're bringing you're bringing context into the problem before we sit and say, "What's the answer?" Well, I don't know because if we start trying to solve a problem we don't understand, we're taking shots. We're really not solving the problem. We're solving the problem as a concept, not the problem as a specific issue. You know, so I like I like the way you're doing that. You give them you do give them a forum to be heard. I heard you say that, and I think that that's extremely important because people love to be heard, right? They need to be heard. And I think parents, especially, I mean, you know, parents, they have their own opinion of their kids and they have this opinion of where they're, they expect their kid to be and what they expect their kid to be doing and how they expect their kid to be doing it. 
And if their kid isn't doing it, instead of exploring, like, from their perspective, like, from their kid, like, why is my kid, maybe my, you know, my son plays football. My son's not the best on his team. He's not the quarterback. Why is not he, you know, maybe in my mind, I'm like, hey, he should be the quarterback. He throws so well when we're at home. But maybe at practice, which I don't attend, he might throw into triple coverage and throw interceptions all the time or throw like these just lame ducks over everyone's head. And I don't know any of that, but I'm looking at it as a parent going, wow, you, you're not a very good football coach because my son is great at quarterback when we're at home together and my son should be the starting quarterback. And so you kind of have to, you know, like, no, let's talk about this. <laughs> like, let's talk about why your son's not the starting quarterback. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that, that I like the way you're doing that because it's real important as as because, you know, again, mom and dad, you know, you great, a great um, example too. you know, using the, the football thing. You don't see practice, but you see practice at home. You know how passionate your son is about football. You see how hard he works at it. You see how, you know, when you guys play catch or how he throws, how he catches, how he runs. Say, yeah, he's getting better. He's getting better. But if you don't see him in practice, you know, your idea is, yeah, he's gotten really good. He's probably one of the best kids on the team. And then you see him, of course, you love him too. So you see them as one of the better kids on the team because we all think our kids are great. And 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 they are, they're fantastic. But we have a an interesting filter. It's called the screwed up filter because we think all of our every parent thinks their kid is the best athlete on the team. And that and I say that cynically, we don't always think that, but we always think our kids are better than they really are. And 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 that's just the way it is. But what you're saying is that's fine, but let's talk through what we're looking for. And I think that that's so important. What am I looking for? How does he interact? How does your son interact on the practice field with the other kids in game-like situations, in practice-like situations? Does he catch the ball as well? Does he run as well? Maybe he's slower than you realized. Maybe he's you know, got a crappier arm than you realized. But you need to see it in context. And then you can sit down with the coach and say, how can we, you bring we into it, right? It's not your problem, parent. It's not your problem, coach. How can we help him? Because he's got great goals, dreams, and aspirations. Because all your kids at gymnastics, most of them are pretty serious about it, the level that you coach at. They're serious. They have goals, right? Yeah, I mean, and that's the other thing, too, that I love bringing in parents for. Like, we do year-end meetings, and it's just to kind of get the parents, us, and the athlete all on the same page. And this year is the first year that I actually – I stepped back in my program and I said, you know, what? I want to invite the athletes to these year end meetings because there's, you know, the parent goal, there's the coach goal, and then there's the athlete goal. And we need to make sure that they're all lined up and they're all realistic because, you know, I had one time had a parent come to me with an eight year old and they said, my eight year old's going to the Olympics. And I was like, cool. What level is she? She's a level two. Okay. So if she was going to go to the Olympics, she'd probably be a level seven by the time that she was eight. But, you know, you can't tell a parent this. So you have to kind of sit there and you have to say, okay, well, here's how we're nurturing the goal of the Olympics for her. Here's how she's nurturing the goal of the Olympics for her. And here's how you can nurture the goal of the Olympics for her. And like kind of bring it all together and like, you know, put it in this little, you know, kind of align thing instead of having like three different things like I'm looking at it like girl's gonna be a level three you know Mm -hmm. kids like I'm going to the Olympics parent is like this is her dream she's doing it you know and it's like way out there so you know you kind of have to like bring them all in and bring everything together and be like these are the you know 
How can we help you? You know, what is another goal? I, if a kid wants to do something like that, like I, I want to go to the Olympics. I'm always like, okay, I have to be real with you. About 1% of people that start gymnastics go to the Olympics, 1%, which means 99% don't. So do you have another goal? Well, I want to do it in college. Okay, perfect. Let's talk about how we can get you there. Let's start with that goal and kind of even talking to the parent and bringing the parent in on that part of it too. Cause instead of the parent going Olympics, the parent can go, Oh, this could pay for college. Oh, well, how do we do that? Cause that would be great if I don't have to pay tuition and, you know, like kind of bringing, bringing mm-hmm. it all down to earth and bringing it all in like this nice little, you know, fun. Right. yeah, I had a um, years ago when I coached, coached swimming full time long before you were born, um, we had a 10 year old girl who was, uh, as a 10, as a nine year old and a 10 year old, she was won the high point championship in, in her age group in the state for swimming, which is like, you know, the all round, but even bigger because there's a lot more events than just the four or five that the girls compete in. There's like, you know, four strokes, but there's different distances and all that stuff. And her parents were determined that she needed to be on the, we had like a pre-national team. We had a national team. And of course we had an age group team and her parents were determined that her 10, their 10 year old daughter was supposed to be on the pre pre-national team or the national team where we worked out twice a day, six o'clock in the morning and five o'clock in the afternoon. I'm going like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's bring this down. Let's bring this down a notch. Okay. Why are we doing this? Well, because, and they had these big goals, dreams, and aspirations. I'm thinking like, you know, she's 10 years old. There's a, there's a life to be led. And now I'm, you know, obviously there, I'm not the parent. So I can't say, you know, you guys need to be better parents, give your child some balance, but it's like, how do we steer them away from this being the absolute as to her staying with one practice a day and finding ways to continue to grow and be successful in the sport? You know, so yeah, it's like create a re-alter their expectations of how we're going to get there. Um, so I love that, Sam. So if you, because um, I'm, I'm sure this the clock is going to start ticking on our second half already. But um, and I again, this I, I said cringeworthy, and I realized I wasn't the right word. But there are some things that you would love to say to moms and dads that you even remind yourself when you're looking at um, as being a coach. What are some of the things that you just would love to say to a mom and dad when it comes to creating expectations of their child or you that you say bring it down or let's let's try not to do that that way what are some of your biggies do you have any um i mean one of somebody said this to me one time and it's kind of stuck with me and i always wish i could just like bring it out um like my husband it you know he works on cars I don't go to my husband's dealership and tell him how to work on cars. So (laughs) I don't expect parents to come to my gymnastics gym and tell me how to be a gymnastics coach. If that, you know, so I would never go to their workplace and tell them how to do their job. So don't come to my workplace and tell me how to do my job. That's one of the big things. And I have to figure out, you know, obviously you have to figure out a nice way of saying that to parents, but I wish I could just straight up say that line to parents. Like mm-hmm. you don't, don't come to my gymnastics gym and tell me how to be a gymnastics coach. Um, that's one of the big ones. And then another one is I always want to invite parents to watch practice when they have these like rose colored glasses and they think their kid is the best on the team and their kid is getting like a 36 all around, which is still good. That's a nine on every event, but then their teammate 
who we moved up faster, we moved up before them is getting, you know, nine sevens on every event and they're, you know, the state champ and all that kind of stuff. And I'm always like, you don't, can you come and watch practice and you watch your child next to the group that you think that she should be in? And mm-hmm. you tell me if your child, if you really truly think your child should be in that group. You know, I don't want to say that to parents because they always think like, oh, my child should just be in that group because they were with so-and-so for this amount of time and they're going to this group. So my child should be in that group. Well, not, it doesn't work like that. Gymnastics is an individual sport. That girl's a little bit higher, but you can't compare kids. Like you always say, we're here to talk about your daughter and, you know, that's who we're going to talk about. But I always want to be like, okay, do you see what she's doing? Because she's doing a lot better than your daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it is a fine line, though, because nobody wants to be told that their kid isn't good enough. Um, you know, back to the thing is, is that, you know, if, if they're if you see if you see promise in their child, think about think about your son throwing the football in the in the in the driveway. And then you see him at practice and he's not getting chances to throw football. You know, we've had this discussion. You remind me, dad, they're coaching, not you and that kind of stuff. But, you know, you want to weigh in. Right. It's hard not to weigh in. So then what's the, what's the, I'm looking at my time. We have like, you can answer this question quickly. What's the ideal um, way for parents to talk to you about what their concerns are? I, um, I love when parents just talk to me and they're help. They help advocate for their kids because that's the other part of it too, is that sometimes parents want more for their kids than their kid even wants. Like I want, I want my daughter in this, group. And then I talked to the kid and I'm like, Hey, you know, your mom talked to me about you wanting to be in this group. And she's like, what are you talking about? I don't even want to be in this group. I want to stay in my group that I'm in, you know, and kind of like having the parent, like it's one thing for them to advocate for their kid and help advocate for their kid. But it's another thing for them to just be like, this is what I think. And this is what I see. And I'm going to give you my opinion based on me and what I think. And almost like living vicariously through their kids. Because I've seen that. They were a gymnast growing up. And they think that their daughter needs to be a higher level gymnast than she is. But she doesn't want to be or has no interest in it. She's just doing it because it's something she loves. And so kind of getting their reality back down to match what their kid's reality actually is. And what their kid wants. Yep. All right. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but I think that that last piece is really important is, is that we got to remember is that um, expectations drive a lot of the tension that goes on. So if a parent has a certain expectation for their child and they're not happy with that outcome, it's going to, it's going to create tension with the coach. However, um, there may be tension already existing between child and, and parent because the child has different expectations for their participation in the sport or the activity, whatever it is. And so making sure, you, like you said earlier, everybody's on the same page is really important. Anyway, Sammy, I'm going to cut you off, but uh, thank you so much for being on. Um, I think you're a wonderful parent. I think you're a wonderful coach. Of course, I'm biased because I'm your dad. But anyway, for those who um, listen in, please remember, always, it's all about listening. Once you change, start listening, everything changes. Open your heart, open your mind, open your ears, and give people a chance to share their story. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Stop Telling and Start Listening. We hope you've picked up on some useful ideas to help you enhance your conversational skills. Until we listen again, have a beautiful week.